You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, $5, 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. This episode of Digital Noise is brought to you by Film Movement Plus. The streaming service Film Movement Plus opens up a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But, as a listener of Digital Noise, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial, plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code NOISE. Sign up today at FilmMovementPlus.com. This Digital Noise episode also has a video version for subscribers at the brown coat level or above. Become a subscriber and get the extended video version. out ahead of time as you probably can tell but i feel like there's like a a fun kid show version of the theme in there somewhere i I have this image of anybody who listens to me across the couple of shows i've done now knows that just aaron sucks at improv in general just just like anything just no no just aaron can't do it it's a new name for the show you can't review that on television (laughs) the adventures of aaron and chris there, there you go. Movies. <laughs> sure sure yeah that, that, that works did, did you watch that documentary aaron the orange box that came out uh late last year it is uh, a documentary about the history of nickelodeon and nickelodeon was a little past my age as a kid i mean it came out after i was no longer a kid so i didn't really watch it but i know lots of people your age and and older and younger did and it's just sort of a history of all the shows and how it all happened and it was a lot of fun i was like oh there's a lot of stuff i didn't know here I actually, I've never heard of it. I thought for a second you were talking about the uh, the Half-Life 2 box set thing that they released called the Orange Box. But I'm not going to lie, Nickelodeon is, like, I, it came about right when I was just on the cusp of too old. So a lot of their stuff just completely missed me. But, but the really high quality uh, stuff that they put out, I'm a huge fan of. I just, like I said, missed it all. I'm aware of it from other people talking about it. I definitely saw enough of you can't do that on this uh, or whatever it is on television to see someone get slimed. And I see, uh, I feel like I, I, I caught the high point here. So I, I've seen enough. There you go. It, it, it was, are you afraid of the dark for me? That that, that was my core. That was like goosebumps where yeah. I was like, man, I wish I was the right age for this. Cause it would have totally been my thing, but I was definitely, I was already watching the evil dead in theaters at that point. Oh my so, God. So. Yeah. No, that, that may have been a little young for you. Yeah. 
exactly. Well, we're here to talk about not that, but Blu-rays and movies. Just want to give a quick shout out to one of our big supporters, a friend of ours who owns the company Agronautics. This is not a paid for advertisement. It's just literally, I love this guy. He it, like has helped us out with a lot of stuff on the show and he started his own side company. I've got his t-shirt on here. Agronautics. And uh, I got in the background, he makes little bobbleheads of weird stuff. This is Gibby Haynes from the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> which I love. He's got a megaphone, which was his thing on stage. And yeah, he's a, he's a local resident Austin weirdo too. So I kind of love having that. Anyway, just a little shout out to my buddy there. Good luck with Agronautics. You guys should go to agronautics.com and buy their stuff because they're kind of cool and awesome, especially if you like really weird off the cuff bizarro stuff and, and especially in music which is what they focus on like they got the misfit sky bobblehead and stuff and cool. you'll get to uh, see what chris shakes at the camera every time he talks about it there you go you can own your own thing of i don't know anyway let's move on to the movies Aaron. <laughs> we're gonna start off by talking about a movie that is called russian raid now the impression that one is going to get from both this title and the premise is oh this is a russian movie of the famous, really beloved film, The Raid. And on paper, sort of. Yeah. Like, Uh, it it follows the same kind of plot structure, basically. Sort of. I mean, like, yeah. Like, it's not even the plot that's the same so much as the type of activities that's happening with a group of badasses that are breaking into this armed compound with many, many rooms, and they go room from room to room, taking on groups of other badasses and beating the shit out of them with an assortment of both gunplay and and fisticuffs and whatever happens to be at hand. The problem is that Russian Raid, as much as it's got a very solid crew of apparently Russian MMA fighters and people who are very good at the physicality of this this role, and even good fight choreography, they have no idea how to do anything else. <laughs> like, this one was shot so poorly. Like, have you seen an action movie, dude? Like, well, I'm, I'm like, and then, okay, so here's the biggest problem. There's no Foley. So people hit someone like a big fight and it sounds like this. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? So it does. It feels like this is an amateurish production, which, which is weird. Cause like the choreography is so good and they, they shoot the masters. Well, like what mm-hmm. I think the issue is, is that they didn't have time to go back through and shoot coverage and do proper posts because it feels like, okay, we shot the wide shot and then, oh shit, we just forgot to go in and like shoot the close-ups of this throw and this hit. And let's let's go in and add impact here. It's just a bunch of long takes that have no impact that feel like they're more of a dance. Yeah, uh, it it's felt that like they kind re- of martial arts. It felt like the the performers rehearsed the hell out of it, but there was no camera blocking so they're just like we'll just do it in one we'll just take it it felt like a total cheapy like we got three days to shoot this thing the actors don't know their moves so let's just go in and film them doing it and the the other thing that kind of got to me and this is surprising that this bothered me was that structurally it's kind of the raid in reverse which the raid you know very much is a bunch of competent policemen who start with guns they shoot their way out until they run out of bullets and then they have to fight their way out this movie starts instead with this really long sequence of fist fights and like these very aggressively i would say racist depictions of russians if it wasn't actually russian filmmakers making this movie um but like going through and it it doesn't work any of it and about the halfway point People start pulling out weapons and bladed weapons, and then they start pulling out guns. And 
and like it weirdly gets more and more weapon based and when it starts to do that i will admit that the action starts to play a little bit better mainly because when people do die they die quick and they die bloody and so the back half is a lot more interesting than the front half but it's it's still okay but even then it's okay yeah it's not great the plot is different. As you said, the first one's like cops. This is like a former Russian soldier who sort of reluctantly signed up with a semi-professional group of like semi-gangsters, semi-soccer th- f- football yeah, thugs. it's football thugs. <laughs> and, and what yeah. I love is every time he's like, guys, you know, you're being unprofessional. Their answer is literally this job wasn't worth hiring professionals. So deal yeah. with the shitty people. They're wearing like crushed <laughs> velour jumpsuits. I mean, with like team labels on them. So... Anyway, uh, the idea is they want to force an illegal ownership change to a factory that's like a front for stuff, including guns and things. And so they break in there and they get there and they're at first they're like room by room, easily taking out these groups of thugs, which are filled with a place in a series of like relatively dull fisticuff sequences of just guys. Okay, well, here's a bunch of guys versus another bunch of guys in a room and it's going to go on for like 10 minutes. Just casually and, walking up to them too. No strategy yeah. or drama, just like. Hey, you, random guard, I'm going to get into a fight with you now. I think one of them actually says that. Like, literally says, let's fight now. And then it's weird because most of them really, they barely count as characters. Even the main character, we're like, well, clearly they're going to reveal some degree of, like, backstory for this guy. And they do a little. But if anything interesting happens in this plot, it's how nonsensical it is in the last third when people are just changing sides (laughs) willy-nilly. <laughs> you know, just so bizarre. And then, everyone's like, "Oh, we're gonna kill this guy." And they're like, "No, we're now we're on team this guy. Well, no, yeah. we're back on this team this guy." Assassin. Like, I think actual ninjas may even show up. Like this, this movie does just get weird. <laughs> it gets really weird in that sense, and not weird like, "Whoa, this is cool weird," but weird like, "What were you thinking?" Weird. Yeah, like I just don't even get why. Oh, just okay, sure, why not? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's okay if you're dying to see you know what a russian attempt at making the raid would look like which i guess this is it you know what i don't know if the intention was in the name was before the fact or after but you know i mean if you're a hardcore watcher of many many action films the way you know sir uh woodall and so i myself we are, might be yeah this is uh you know it's a lesser entry and it feels like this could have been really fun and instead it just you feel more like a fly on the wall than you're right in the action. You know what? Uh, I will say that it is the best Russian martial arts movie I have ever seen. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Although there's some cool Russians that show up in Hong Kong movies in the 80s and 90s. I'll True. tell you that. Yeah, or at least dudes who are playing Russians. I don't know. It's hard <laughs> to say. They're all dubbed. But they, so. they all had bleach blonde hair, we assumed. <laughs> I forget that there was a documentary about one of them that, who went on to be like a stunt choreographer and a producer director. I forget his name, but this guy was in like a hundred of these movies playing like, uh oh, it's the mid tier boss. It's the guy who comes out and cracks his shoulders and does the shotgun arms right before the fight. And it's going to be a big fight, but like is ADR with he's either a Russian or he's an American or he's whatever, you know, the white guy in yeah. the Hong Kong movie. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's move on to our next title, which is Vanguard, another martial arts-ish movie. This one actually from Hong Kong, the latest from Jackie Chan and, which surprised the fuck out of me, Stanley Tong, who is the writer-director who kind of propelled Jackie to stardom back in the day, who really did some of his big films, most notably uh, Rumble in the Bronx and uh, Police Story 3. 
he is like a kind of a big name for that sort of stuff. So I'm like, oh, well, he's returning to martial arts with Jackie Chan. That's exciting. Chan, of course, getting a little long in the tooth. And sure enough here, he's kind of he's not like completely a, a side character, but he's definitely been pushed back to a, a supporting actor as opposed to the main actor to make way for some new young folks to do their martial arts on screen in this very silly James Bond goes to Africa movie. So here's what keeps disappointing me about these modern day Jackie Chan movies. It's not that Jackie Chan can no longer Jackie Chan, which like he's getting older. It makes sense at a certain point that like with how hard he pushed himself that you just can't do that. And I totally respect the fact that he has shifted back and is kind of now the mentor or, or the old grizzled guy. And, and I, I'm okay with that. What I wish I saw more of is Jackie Chan, the film consultant who would do more choreography, who helped more on the back behind the scenes production end because there's a lot here in this movie that should be good they do some great location work the problem is is actually partially in the editing and the 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 way they shoot the fight scenes i never really got the feel that i got with not even like jackie chan knockoffs this is just like an okay american action film direction wise with, with some trademark weak cg that you see a lot in the chinese action adventure movies but like the core story this would have made a great fun adventure uh martial arts movie and it's a shame that they can't quite get there the storyline wise it reminds me a bit i don't know if you ever read any wilbur smith he was a big writer in the 60s that was sort of like an american competitor to the bondian stuff except he's like this american badass and he's you know like his main character and he's always like you know gets the girls and but he's more of a sort of mercenary-ish type of guy but he's always going to places like africa to go like fight like evil warlords and shit uh <laughs> anyway the problem here i think as terms to compare to other jackie chan's film isn't that jackie chan isn't the main character and he's kind of charming when he's in here playing the boss yeah he works but but the boss who's like any given starfleet captain like why are you on the ground for this dangerous <laughs> mission <laughs> you shouldn't that's totally outside your job description but that like one of the big attractions of chan's films were these huge crazy location-based stunts and they do some of those in here, but they're all fight, fake. They're all fake CG stunts. And you're like, I think you're kind of, someone is missing the, the, this key thing that we really loved about those movies that I can't believe they did that. And here it's like, well, I can, because they're clearly just stay, sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Like, I mean, that that's far from the movie's only issue. Uh, a lot of the characters are paper thin. Like, there's just nothing there. Uh, and, and I also realized partway through like the ostensible main character is Jackie Chan and his rookie detective slash bodyguard slash special operations Chinese hero. I say that because he specifically calls out the fact that he's Chinese and that makes him a hero, which was a cool scene, but like <laughs> they don't have anything to them. They don't have any reason why they're be- they're in here. It's just, it's a job. Yeah. And, and I, I needed some kind of personal investment that the characters had in this to really get past the fact that it's just an okay movie. Yeah, the, the the title of the film, Vanguard, is also the name of the security agency that Jackie Chan is the head of, this high-tech security forum in China. Uh, they fail per, a kidnapping of a client, so the, uh, they send out agents to protect his daughter and stop a terrorist from unleashing something horrible. <laughs> and it 
like the daughter or, or the, 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 the big client has been kidnapped in London and uh, they saved the client, but they're like, oh, now the terrorists are going to come after his daughter who's in Africa taking pictures of lions and shit. And uh, so they have to go and there's a fish out of waterness of these people. And of course, there's a love story with one of the agents and the daughter have a sort of, oh, there's something going on here. And I mean, there's some stupid, really stupid shit in here. Like the bad guys, the whole thing, he's going to transport gold by making cars out of gold like high performance <laughs> sports vehicles like and then spray painting them like or putting foil they covered on them. them in foil it's foil yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing they would drive like my car if they were made of gold they'd be so fucking heavy that they'd be they'd, they'd, it doesn't matter what engine you would have had in that thing they would have sucked and there's like that whole there's this whole big chase sequence that could have been cool if it wasn't constantly being sped up where you can totally tell on camera they're just speeding this well, up and unfortunately and this movie is very clearly a co-production between several large countries Saudi, several, several Saudi large, Arabia and, yeah. and Hong Kong specifically <laughs> and so there's a lot of people speaking multiple different languages in here specifically English and a lot of people who very clearly are not native English speakers doing it um, phonetically and I feel like they should have just stuck to whatever the native language was of the characters because a lot of them just can't pull it off. And every time someone opens their mouth, it's just it's silly if you speak any amount of English. And sadly, like this is doing the same thing almost all the recent Chan movies have done. There's a lot of like under the table patriotism going on here for both uh, Hong Kong or China specifically. Uh, the movie's like, you know what the two best countries in the world are? China and Saudi Arabia. Right. Like they're like Dubai. This is like the they really like this is like the best city ever. Like we love these guys. And then they're like Americans. I mean, we're not saying they're evil, but they're kind of useless. Which, and I don't know if I disagree per se, but it's just kind of like if you're going to say it, just actually say it. Make it what it's about. This one's like like someone muttering snarky shit under their breath. You know, I, I did enjoy at the towards the end of the movie. There's a let's sum up everything with a newscast and the newscaster. If you read what they say, or it's here because it's in English. They, they literally are like. And they left it up to the Dubai security forces because they're just the best that there are. <laughs> it, was, it was a nice giggle at the end. I mean, this isn't like as bad as a lot of people were saying it was, but it's certainly hey. like no, no one would put this in the top 20 Jackie Chan it, films. It is better than that god awful sci fi weird thing we saw last time. Yeah, that was fucked up. Like the was, re that was it The Returner or something like that? No, I'm getting the wrong title. But anyway, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this is unfortunately passable, and I, like, God, Jackie Chan, I know you don't listen to this, but if you do for some reason, please, 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 <laughs> please, please, like, really start working with the cameramen, really start working with the directors. I want to see you as a technical consultant, and I don't care if you're in them. I want you to make badass movies with badass martial arts. Whoever the star is, please. Dude, just go to fucking Thailand and start like choreo doing choreography with stunts with the young upcoming people yeah. in Indonesia and Thailand who are amazing and will do the crazy shit that your insurance company won't let people do in Hong Kong anymore. <laughs> yeah, find some up and coming talent and like bring them onto the international stage. I want to see that Jackie Chan. And, and I, I want to say I really hope that we're close to that. 
just because like it it feels more and more like he's backing away from being on camera and i'd like to see yeah. i know he's a passionate guy so i want to see him behind the camera i'm like your movies don't need to be huge compete with american films that like what you're never going to have the financing to make a jackie chan film look like fast and the furious yeah i, I know you're like feel like we're almost there but nobody it's just not as it's not never going to make as much money as those things are it's never going to be as good as those things are why don't go the opposite way and go back to what worked for you in the beginning so well, which is just stripped down fight after fight after fight after fight of badass little stunts. We don't need some like a guy like Bungie jumping off the Empire State Building. We don't need shit like that. Just go and like get in there and do it with great fight choreography that's fun and funny to watch. Go back to that sort of action comedy that you were so good at. And these are just like they just feel like they're just grabbing stuff from American films and doing it half as well. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about a film we both really liked, which came out from film movement, unfortunately only on DVD, which is a shame because this deserves a Blu-ray release. Yes, and that's a 2019 Canadian mob film. Yes, there, there is a Canadian mob called Mafia Incorporated or Mafia Inc., uh, which is based on a nonfiction book called Mafia Inc., The Long Bloody Reign of uh, Canada's Sicilian Clan by journalists Andre Cidillo and Andre Noel, which stars Mark Andre Grundin as Vincent Gamache, who is a um, how do I describe it? He's like a he's he's a he's a made man. He, he's a yeah. young up and coming made man or lieutenant. So like right. he's put in charge of his first project, yeah. and basically opening credits, he flies down to Venezuela and arranges for a bus filled with kids to crash and die so that he Which can like what the fuck? yeah yeah like i'm telling you that's the opening 30 seconds of this movie i'm not spoiling anything um and he uses their bodies to smuggle heroin and cocaine into canada um, so you're like what a dick and so <laughs> the, the movie kind of tracks two plot lines one is the the Canadian Godfather, in quotes, that's how he is known. And these are, I'm going to say, semi-real people because this was based on a true story. So, um, like, that's a real thing. Uh, he is in the process of trying to invest in a bridge that would connect Sicily and Italy and sees this as his grand, uh, I'm going to get out of the business kind of move where he's going to be right. a legitimate legal totally clean businessman um and he puts this up-and-coming guy vincent in charge of this process vincent however is the seems to be the kind of guy who's obsessed with the idea of a mafioso and doing whatever he wants to do without repercussions he reminds me a lot of a more nuanced version of the yakuza gangsters from graveyards of honor yeah. Um, where he's just just self-destructing left and right. Uh, and, and the movie follows Vincent and Frank Paterno as Vincent's trying to get this nut so he can take care of his family and his estranged father and sister, where Frank is trying to become legitimate. Well, and no, that's Giacco is his is son. Giacco? Frank is the godfather. Sorry, so I, I son... didn't mean to imply that they were kids, yeah. Right, right, right. No, Frank is the older one who we're also kind of following, who's the godfather character. He's like, what am I going to do with my son, Giacco, who wants to do the right thing as far as his godfather says, but but Vince is a wild card. And the, even though those two have been friends since they were little kids, which is the only reason Vince is part of this mobster family in the first place, because he's actually, a, 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 was he Irish? I can't remember. He, but uh, He's a Irish son of a tailor. Right. And the tailor 
is like the tailor to the family. So they're like, oh, they've been part of the family forever. And his father disapproves of everything and yada, yada. But it is this really interesting look that's loosely based, admittedly, on the true story, but apparently close enough. And I found it kind of epic, man. The whole interplay oh. of all these characters, even the little side characters that are here are given enough to make you like know enough about them to make them feel important to the story. There's like this guy who they call like the mouth because he just won't, doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut, but he's an older made man. And they're like, we're gonna have to do something about that guy. But you like, you kind of like, dude, what are you doing? I kind of, you seem like a nice guy. Keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> the people who created this, they know how to write characters. Every mm -hmm. single person in this movie feels like a real three dimensional character. And so it becomes less about this violent over the top explosion like those graveyards movies kind of become. And it's more about this slow simmering, inevitable confrontation between a bunch of nuanced characters. Like I, I loved the hell out of this. And uh, the, it's actually kind of surprising too, because of all the characters, the one I ended up becoming like immediately in love with was the sister of Vincent, who is marrying the oldest prima donna son of the Frank Paterno mafia gangster lord, mafia gangster lord. Um, right. <laughs> but like, you get to watch her slowly come into her own as this powerful, confident. You know she's gonna be a badass mafia god. Uh, queen basically after this happens and so like it, yeah this is an epic so, wonderful story that the yeah. violence is real and it's interesting but it's never over the top and so sadly like the female roles are sort of resigned to a sort of oh well if we get a sequel it, they'll it'll be about them because they don't have a hell of a lot to do in this movie other than you know maybe this is going to be the future but yeah. This is still excellent, and I'm kind of sad. I didn't, I couldn't find a list of the bonus features, and you have the DVD there. I can't remember if there was anything extra, but I don't think there really was. There really isn't. I, I looked afterwards, because because this is a true story, I immediately was like, I kind of want to find out what happened next. Yeah, I would love to have seen like a 30-minute <laughs> documentary of like the real story, what really happened, what the differences are. But, you know, maybe someday someone will re-release this film. They go, hey, this is really good stuff that people just missed. Because this is, if you like mob films, I'd put this on the kind of essential watch a list of mob films. Yeah, I'd agree. You know? I'd agree. Like, this is... Mwah. Well, we're going to move on to a 2007 film from director Ang Lee. Actually, the film he did after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which obviously was kind of a sizable hit for him and brought his attention to the world, for those that didn't already know who he was by that point. But, you know the household name more after that movie still weird to me that that film which i loved right off the bat exploded the way it did with just you know regular well, people so so this is my first like what i'm gonna call like normal ang lee film uh, mm -hmm. or ang lee film because my first one was the hulk followed by crouching tiger <laughs> hidden dragon and then it was lust caution so okay. it was a Here little bit of a whiplash for me going from those two movies to Lust Caution. Yeah, it's a big difference. His <laughs> He does all different types of films, no question. And this is, although this is, in fact, a uh, Hong Kong film, it is not a martial arts movie. It's a based relatively... Like it's like they they still never said this is based on this one particular true story, but it's I think that is for political reasons they couldn't, but it's apparently based on the historical event of this Chinese spy who was trying to assassinate a Japanese collaborator, uh, that was when the uh the Imperial Japanese Army uh had set up a puppet government 
in China, in Hong Kong and Shanghai, and were leading things and Chinese people weren't happy about. So this group of Chinese university students who are like literally actors, they have an acting troupe, they put together, they decide they prefer, you know, their previous form of government and they resent the Japanese being there is kind of is the history of China and Japan. And they put together this plot to assassinate this special agent that's working for the puppet government, a very high up and torturer and not a good guy by using the most attractive lady who works with them. And then certainly uh, like the most talented actress of them, even though when she starts off, she's like kind of falls backwards into all that. Uh, Wong Chia Chi, uh, uh, who is played by Tang Wei, this was her big breakout film, most certainly. And they, you know, the idea is Honey Trap, right? Well, you should go into this movie knowing that uh, this plan did not work. Yeah. <laughs> so this is not a happy movie. What it is is a very NC-17 uh, sex film. Like, the violence is here, but that's not why it's NC-17. It's here because the sex scenes are just short of X-rated. Which... Like, just, you know barely short of that which which we say that but for all the teenagers out there who haven't discovered online porn um don't rent this for the sex as much as this has incredibly graphic sex Mm -hmm. it's not really enjoyable sex in that way and i only mention this because that's what i was looking for when i originally saw this movie and i did not care for this at all i was not here for that like the 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 spy thriller romance kind of weird (laughs) sadomasochistic angle this movie had and Tony Leung plays the bad guy, Mr. Yi, who they're trying to, who, who uh, Wong Chia Chi, Tang Wai, is trying to seduce and setting up this thing. And she's like, becomes friends with his wife, kind of insinuates herself into their household. She's got one of the other actors is playing her husband, who's always, who's an importer, exporter, so he's always gone. And, you know, they start having this affair. And right off the bat, it's like this close to rape, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. he's like a violent dude. Like a, he wants to have sex or, with her and brutally. As, as you know. when it finished, I paused the movie and my wife and I turned to each other and just went. So he clearly needs lots of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> well, so does she. Yeah. More so after that experience. Yeah, this is a distressing film at points. They do actually come to a point where, although it starts so rough, it becomes more tender as it goes along. As the real crux of the matter is, she is despite herself finding herself kind of seduced by him as well. And so everything I've ever read about this is their relationship is an allegory for the at the Chinese at this time, some portions of it being seduced by uh this tyranny, by the by the the uh the autocracy of the Japanese coming in there and how it was both totally dangerous and terrifying, but also kind of seductive at the same time. And it was kind of using him as a stand in for that, which is you know, your results are going to vary on that sort of metaphor, but this is such a lusciously shot film, incredibly beautifully shot, great costumes, great sets, um, and terrific performances that despite how dark it really is, I, I do have to recommend it. Yeah. I, I think that this is almost a perfect movie. Um, I think it suffers some of the same issues that things like Snowpiercer do for me, where it, it shifts into because it's about something it ends up serving that more than the actual story and and it makes for something that isn't always fun even though like that's fair uh it, it's hard for me to really knock it it's just it knocked my enjoyment of it uh but the actors all do a great job which which what's sad is that uh the actual the actress who played Wang Chi Chi uh 
Tang Wei. Thank you, Tang Wei. Uh, she got blacklisted for this movie. It mm-hmm. spent. It took years for her to really find real work again because because of those sex scenes. And it's weird because this is also one of the few movies where I can authentically say that the sex is important and represents really good character shifts. And it's not just fun to watch because this is not me advocating for less sex. There should be more sex in movies. Um, but yeah, like this is a good movie. It's just a hard movie. Yeah. And literally at some point. <laughs> <laughs> If you ever wanted to see what Tony Leung's dick looks like, you picked the right movie. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on to something a little softer, but also from the East. This is Ongaku, Our Sound. This has got to be one of the most unexpected anime experiences. Uh, anime is not even the right term, right? Because it in no way resembles anything no. that's been titled as anime I've ever seen. But it is a Japanese animated film. This is a movie that was sort of made by musicians who wanted to, who was like, who were obsessed by this. It's based on a, a manga book called Ongaku and Manga uh, that uh, Hiroyuki Oha- Ohashi published himself as a, like literally a DIY zine sort of way over years. And then he, this director, Kenji I- Iwasawa, did all the animation or the bulk of the animation all by himself over seven years, hand drawing 40,000 pictures necessary to make this film. And it has that sort of weird, like Dr. Katz shakiness look to it, you know, that it gives it a sort of almost indie appeal in and of itself. But this is not, if you're expecting something that resembles in any way, any other Japanese anime you've seen, it's not, this is more like a, like a, Indie French film about punk rockers. <laughs> this movie reminds me a lot of the concert documentary narrative features that came out in the late seventies, early eighties, like stunt rock out of Australia, sure. um, where like, it feels like a bunch of buddies uh, who are a bunch of guys who had some film gear, knew some musicians, followed them around and recorded all of their footage and shot like an hour's worth of a rock uh, documentary and then went, oh, shit, what are, how are we going to come up with a story to tie to this? And like, like let, let's make it about uh, some delinquent kids discovering how punk rock changes their emotions. Like, sure, sure, let, let's just do that. And so like the vast majority of this movie is concert footage or footage of people playing where they've, they filmed some of it and have animated over it. And the rest is this really janky, but very endearing. Once you get about 10 minutes into it, art style. And this movie builds up to a moment of what I can only describe in the most pretentious way possible as pure cinema. There is this 10 to 15 minute thing where they build this trance punk weird kind of song and the visuals get increasingly more and more and more trippy and cerebral as the song becomes more complex. And it, like, it, it gave me genuine chills watching this <laughs> and I was not expecting it. I, I fell hard for this movie once you make it about 20 minutes in and they start getting into the music. It takes a little while to figure out what it is. Yeah. What am I watching? Because it's very slow moving at first and it's very simplistic and the plot isn't very complex at all. I mean, it's this guy, Kenji, who is this like a student, but he's sort of like, you know, top badass student. He's a guy who clearly is going to go on to be like a full blown gangster. Who's got his two little like cohorts that follow him around and do whatever he says. He likes getting into fights with people and claiming his territory. Uh, so he, they basically end up 
stealing some musical instruments because he's like, we're going to form a band. Okay, none of us have ever played an instrument. <laughs> so they start just figuring it out in the most simple, very like like the band Can or something, like just like atonal droning type of effect thing or the bass is playing one note over and over again type thing. But And they're like, yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, we're going to be huge. And they start, they, they go, oh, well, what we should do, it ends up being like, oh, we're going to be, play this music festival here because weirdly they impress this local group of people who are in their own band who are terrified of them yeah, who, because they're like art students who have a proper band. I was going to say, they, they only meet them because they happen to have a name that's very similar and yeah, they decide, the well, no, 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 we want to meet these guys and learn who they are. Yeah, they assume, <laughs> this other band assumes these guys are coming here to kick our ass and they're like, no, we we want to like, you know, we want to meet you. That's cool. You guys are cool. And they're like, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> so it's a movie that keeps surprising you in little ways. And it's like lightly charming. I, I think people who like, who both like sort of like the indie music dramedies and people who like stuff like uh, even, um, and it's not in animation style, mind you, but who like the sort of light sensibilities that come with something that you can expect from um, Studio Ghibli to some degree, where it's like this totally different thing. It's kind of heartwarming in a weird sort of way. But you got to kind of process it. Yeah, there's not a lot going on, but what there is is kind of fascinating. Um, it's its own thing. I can't say I've ever really seen anything like it, and it's not going to be for everyone, certainly. But I found it pretty charming. And there's a lot of bonus features here. There's like an hour long the making of, which goes super deep into how they did it. Um, there's our movie behind the screens for 15 minutes, which is a sneak screening. They did a live musical performance from the people who were playing the music here. Uh, there's uh, short clips from the film. There's early animation of the big f uh, final concert. And there's a, a series of four short films by the director here as well. There's storyboards, gallery trailers. This is put out by both shout factory and G kids. And it is, it is really, you know, quite, which, quite a nice little surprise. Just going to call out that it, Anything G Kids puts out is almost always worth checking out because for a company that has a name that I feel like they should be putting out educational, like <laughs> VeggieTales-esque animation or something like that, right. they put out good shit reliably. Yeah. No, they're almost always, if there's like, if you've heard about like a really high profile animation project coming out of Japan or Korea or someplace like that, that's not fitting into the anime niche, but is like... Oh, this is from the guy who did that other great film, maybe like 10 years ago with Studio Ghibli. So what happened to that guy? It's G-Kids. They're yeah. putting it out here. You know, they're distributing it locally. Anyway, let's talk. I know you're dying to talk about this. And I think you were more impressed than I was with Arrow's re-release of The Invisible Man Appears and The Invisible Man versus The Human Fly. These are not universal films, although The Invisible Man and them both look like the classic Invisible Man with the bandages and the hat and the sunglasses. This is... Japanese movies, you know, first thing Invisible Man appears, which was the earliest still existing and that I think is known of at all Japanese science fiction film. This yeah. predates Godzilla. And sure enough, it's a rough print. Yes. And then its sequel, The Invisible Man versus the Human Fly, which I would argue is the better of the two films. But I'm honestly going to let you take this one and talk about what they're about. Because like I said, I watched them, but I found myself kind of fading well, at points. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. The Invisible Man, which it's technically The Invisible Man Appears, um, mm -hmm. which it's a rough watch. Uh, it's definitely an older style of movie. And it's less of an Invisible Man movie and really this weird crime film. Um, it follows 
a group of scientists who are working on different methods of achieving invisibility, two protégés and a master. Two protégés, by the way, decide uh, that whoever gets the secret to invisibility first gets to marry the lead scientist's daughter, which gay for for casual misogyny in the old uh, science fiction genre. But anyways, um, a entirely unrelated character uh, finds out about this, finds out that the lead scientist has already figured it out. And finds out that there is a random famous jewel worth a lot of money that he really wants. And he kidnaps the scientist and uses this invisibility potion to create an invisible man of sorts and force him to do heinous things to try and get these jewels. The problem is that things aren't really that heinous and the pace of this movie is really slow and it's it's just kind of small and the one thing that's impressive about it is the effects are pretty cool for their time actually done by the guy who ended up creating the effects for godzilla five years after this so i i I did not like the invisible man appears despite its amazing title okay (laughs) however the invisible man versus the human fly is an amazing film it is so batshit insane. It fixes it fixes so many of the problems of the predecessor that I feel like there is there has to be no crossover. That it's just like another group of people making an Invisible Man movie instead of a sequel. Uh, it starts right out of the gate. There is a murder spree going on. Six people have died. Thirty five million yen have been stolen. People are dropping left and right, and the only clue is everybody looks up and you hear a. Sound. Uh, at the same time, a group of scientists, because that's what they do, they just sit and do science, have discovered a way to use light to turn things invisible, but haven't quite figured out how to turn things uninvisible. <laughs> and it, what follows is this madcap fifth mix between a potboiler detective crime thriller and a 50s science fiction monster movie. Uh, like just this weird genre mashup as it follows the detectives trying to solve who's doing these who's doing these murders where the robberies are happening it's not actually an invisible man rampage instead it's the human fly who is instead a guy who's this random psychopath who uses chemicals to turn about an inch small and gains the ability to float (laughs) while making a buzz sound like this movie makes no sense, but every five to ten minutes, there's a new twist and there's a new insane genre shift that it's impossible to predict to where by the end, there's a rampaging human fly bomber who's killing hundreds of Japanese all over the city and holding at ransom. And people are turning invisible and reinvisible left and right. Like, it's a twisty, crazy movie that I can't really describe. It's, I adored it. No, I, I definitely enjoyed the second one more than the first one, which, I, like I said, was really dry. I mean, it was like designed also like kind of a murder mystery type thing. Who is the killer? It must be this person. But no, it's this person. Oh, no, it actually was sort of this person. You know, it's one of those, but it's not very interesting. Whereas the second is just goofy enough to be fun. But these are being released by Arrow in a double set. So they both come together. If you have Arrow streaming which is, you know, I know we do. So you can get the Arrow Streaming Network. It's relatively cheap. And then you can just watch them separately. They're, they'll both, I presume, be on there. I don't know if they are yet they or are. not. They okay. Are. Uh, and just watch the second one because there's really almost no crossover. They're no. just like, okay, well, here's a different version. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
there's not a lot of bonus features here. Uh, critic Kim Newman, who regularly appears on the Arrow stuff, does a 22-minute interview talking about the Invisible Man subgenre of sci-fi horror from in its various forms, including this. Uh, there's trailers and stuff like that, but the main thing here that we didn't get because they just send us the white cutout discs is a booklet that comes with a bunch of essays that get a lot more deeper into this film and the history of it. So if that's the angle you're coming from, like, let's just say if you're Matt Frank, <laughs> then you probably want to buy the actual full edition for that reason here. Let's move on to our next movie which is not at all like the previous films. Uh, this is called Last Call, and boy, there's a lot of films called Last Call that have even come out in the last couple of years. Yeah, there are. A lot, right? This is a little indie film that we actually covered on uh, Screener Squad. I was not on the review, so I did not see it then, but I was surprised at this tiny little indie that I'd heard some people say good things about already, but it was so small that the, our critics really liked it a lot. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll ask for it on DVD when it comes out. Directed by... Uh, uh, Gavin Michael Booth. It's sort of a take on understanding someone who wants to kill themselves and calling a helpline with a bit of a twist. And apparently that was a last minute sort of change because originally the director was going to have where this guy calls in an actual suicide line and talks to a proper suicide offer uh, uh, operator. But then after he'd already written the script and everything, found out, yeah, no suicide trained suicide operator would ever do these things. And he's like, well, <laughs> fuck that. Then we'll have to create a new situation. So now it's uh, the female janitor who's working at the place who, who's like, why is the phone ringing at this? That's not even a suicide yeah, hotline. It's like place. a career helpline. Yeah, and she's like, oh, and she gets really concerned for this guy right off the bat who clearly is, like, you know, at the end of his rope. And the trick here is that it's filmed uh, real-time in split-screen with one camera on where he is and one camera where she is, which I didn't feel was, strictly speaking, necessary. I don't think it added a heck of a lot to it, per se. Also, There's lots, lots of points where there's... Like there's never a point where like there's we usually do with those where there's with split screen movies where there's you have to constantly be following stuff on both. It doesn't really take advantage of that. So I'm not really sure why they did that that way. But as it is, I actually found this very just, I don't know, moving and interesting with a very strong performance, uh, especially by the female lead in this movie, uh, uh, Sarah Booth. I thought I thought she was tremendous in this. Well, so you're missing one detail on that, which is it's not just real time. It's a single take. So yeah. it's two single takes of the entire film front to back that run one on top of the other horizontally. And uh, the only real differentiator we get as to which one you need to pay attention to is uh, the sound of mixing will shift to primarily one or the other and it'll fade away as somebody's doing something. Um, so this is kind of a genre of film, these experimental dramas uh, that are often really pretty to look at and really interesting to experience, but don't always work as well as just true movies. You know, mm -hmm. like, like look at Russian Ark for the long take or conversations with other women for the split screen thing. Um, I, I will agree. I think that I got a lot more emotionally involved in this movie than I intended to. The actors do a great job pulling off the characters and holding their own and what has to have been a really challenging shoot. Um, but the, the problem that I have with a lot of these is that when you take the experimental nature out of it, like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm it's not just a single take movie or a split screen movie. I find that it, it loses some of the allure. 
that you get when you watch it. And so, like, it ends up being like, yeah, that's that's cool. That's fun. But I, I don't know that I'm going to go back and rewatch this again. Yeah, no, I I think it's a single watch film for sure. Like I said, I don't think the technique adds a lot to the experience of watching this film. I think, in fact, if anything, it's a little distracting. But the script is solid and the, the acting is solid. And it's, you know, it's a one act play kind of mm-hmm. really that that's kind of powerful. Yeah. And, and you get into it and there's moments of tension when he'll be like suddenly get off the phone and she's freaking out like, oh, my God, oh, my God, are you OK? And overall, it works. I think the ending is leaves it ambiguous, which is a cop out, completely a cop out, especially with what you're putting the audience through. Oh, I, but, I didn't think it was ambiguous. I thought it was pretty. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was relatively specific, and actually, the fact that it was so specific, I I wanted something different. <laughs> so that's yeah. fair. Uh, but I do think it's worth checking out. It's it, and certainly other things from this director in the future might be worth, or at least this writer would be worth checking out because it's definitely the writing and the acting that are the strong points yeah, here. Agreed. Let's move on to what I think is a classic of documentaries about filmmaking, and that is Film Worker. This originally came out in 2017, directed by Tony Ziera about Leon Vitali. Now, no big surprise if you haven't heard of him, although you've seen a shit ton of movies that he pretty much drove to make it. And that's because he was Stanley Kubrick's like right-hand man through everything that he did after Barry Lyndon. Basically this guy was constantly by his side, a Jack of all trades. And this guy played the second main character in Barry Lyndon and was like, yeah, I mean, he was an up and coming actor that people were like, this guy's going to go places. He'd won awards. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to do that. I just want to do whatever Stanley Kubrick says. Well, I really admire Stanley Kubrick. Well, my favorite detail of that is the fact that he he wasn't originally intended to be anywhere near that big of a character. He was supposed to show up for like one or two scenes, but Kubrick enjoyed him so much that he was like, no, 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 we're, we're like, give us some time. We're going to rewrite it. You're going to become the main character. And I mean, this is filmed, obviously, well after Kubrick was dead. Um, and it's certainly not what I would call a puff piece about Kubrick at all, but it's not focusing on the more negative aspects more than it is on what it was like to work with him from the perspective of someone who, although they certainly would suffer through his tirades and his rants at points, was probably his best friend. Well, it- and his experience of like how Kubrick worked from someone who probably knew him better than anyone. I think that's because it's it's ultimately not really about Kubrick at all. It's about his experiences. And so you, you do get hints of, let's be honest, as much as I respect him, how big of an asshole Kubrick can be. It's filtered through what those effects were on this guy. And he's a fascinating person. I had no idea he even existed. Barry Lyndon is literally the one Kubrick movie I have yet to see. And so like, like you and a lot of people. Yeah. And so, uh, I knew none of this. This is a fascinating journey front to back. And yeah, I'm sure there's a a certain amount of canonization here. It's still from a film history standpoint, so interesting to learn how some of these influential movies were actually put together. Yeah. uh, And then there's interviews with some of the people who were, you know, a big part, like very iconic parts of, of Kubrick movies, like Danny Lloyd is interviewed a lot, who played Danny Torrance in The Shining. He's obviously all grown up by the time they made this, but his memories of it, especially his memories of working with uh, Leon Vitale and how this guy was like, the he was like, this guy was the best. He was like my best friend on on 
the set of this. He was constantly there making sure I was entertained and doing all the right stuff. And then Arlie Ermey, who was not supposed to be playing the drill commander in Full Metal Jacket, but was determined he was going to. And this is a guy who wasn't an actor. He was a real life military guy and was like, no, I, I can do this. And stole the role away from the the professional <laughs> actor that was doing it. And there's a lot of interesting stuff with that. This is a fascinating movie about no matter what, how big a dickhead Kubrick is, it's kind of irrelevant. It's like one of those, like, yes, it's underlined, but like in the footnotes, it's like, yes, we all know Kubrick was a douchebag in many ways towards people. He wasn't good with people, but we there's no way we're going to let that take away from us studying his films, which are many of them are masterworks. And this is kind of a film about looking through a lens of admiring just that side of him while acknowledging the other stuff was there, too. I feel like there's definitely a different film could have been made here. But what they did come up with is, I think, really tremendously good and just fascinating. And I believe this is the second release of this. I think it came out on DVD previously. But um, this is, you know, a Blu-ray review of this from I want to I want to say it's Kino Lober. I can't remember offhand. It's Kino Lober. Okay, and it's one of the best documentaries about filmmaking that I think you can see. I would agree. <laughs> do you concur, Doctor? <laughs> doctor, do you concur? I concur. <laughs> uh, there is some bonus features here. Um, once again, I, you know, the thing is I usually, because they're so good at it, Blu-ray.com does this great itemized list of bonus features on everything, and I usually use them. But they've been shut down for a few days because apparently their core hard drive crashed or something, and they're recovering data and freaking so, out about it. It, it. So I don't have all the lists of everything in front of me, but you do because yeah. you have the discs. It, it doesn't have a ton. Uh, it has a Q&A with Liam Vitalian, the director, Tony Ziera, and a trailer. That, that that's so, about it but the movie itself is one it's i'll one. go back and watch this again this was in fact my second time watching it i watched it when it initially came out and thought it was great it, this is my first of many because you're right it, it's the kind of documentary you can rewatch. oh yeah uh so we're going to move on to a arrow release of a newer film this is the bloodhound well, and I got to tell you, man, I'm not sure what the hell is going on with this movie. <laughs> so worth noting, this is actually, I think, one of the first movies that Arrow has flat out. No, like we found this and we're putting this out. It's never been put out, right? Like this is an quote they've unquote done a few. Arrow original. Have they? No. Okay. Yeah, they've done a few. Yeah. this. I mean, not a lot. I would say maybe about somewhere between five and ten films okay. that they've done that for. We've reviewed a few on the show. Well, so, so oh, Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Bloodhound, yeah. It, it's a weird movie. It's a it's a yeah. very arrow movie, which anytime they get into more new cult movies, they tend to favor what I call tone poems. Um it's it's essentially a redo of what I think is the House of Usher. Um it follows a character who comes into a wealthy house that's uh he used to be friends with the owner of the house, who's kind of a young guy. Who clearly inherited his money in his home uh, and has a very complex past. Uh, he has a sister who's locked in a basement and he's told explicitly, like, the moment he walks in the door, whatever you do, don't you ever fucking go in that room. Ever. I'll handle my um, sister. She's very sick, <laughs> which is right out of Fall of the House of Usher. Of and, and right out of the gate, shit gets weird. Um, the main character starts sleepwalking. He may or, or may not he? be drugged. You, you're never quite sure if it's a nightmare or if it's real. There's this random guy, maybe, 
in a bag with a bag over his head who comes crawling in and out of the swamp and hides in a closet. Uh, And I don't know. This is a tome poem. I I have no idea what ultimately happened in this movie. Me neither. But I had a good time the whole time. Like it it kept me involved. Uh, And I was intrigued to see what would happen next. Um, I don't, if it were five minutes longer, I probably would have started to lose a little bit of interest, but I think that it's quick enough that I never grew bored with it. I don't know. I, it got me bored pretty quick, although it started interestingly enough. I mean, the first shot is the, the like I said, the weird masked dude crawling out of the swamp and into this guy's house and into the closet and closing the closet door behind him. And you're like, what the fuck is that about? And there's weird stuff. And I love Poe and Fall of the House of Usher is one of my favorite Poe pieces. Love the adaptations of it. Everything's here. The, the, the main guy, uh, like who plays the person living in the house, uh, like the rich kid, He's just a weirdo of an actor, and he's kind of fascinating. He means me of a Dane DeHaan a little bit. Yeah, right? oh, but big with, time. But, but with floofier hair. <laughs> uh, but it just there's a point, I'm like, this is so no budget. I mean, it's a no budget film, it right? Is. It is. And it just, nothing is happening that pays off. I was like, nothing in here ended up making any sense, and it felt like visually... The ways that he's trying to make it a sort of thrill, psychological thriller come horror film is more borrowing from the works of David Lynch, but it felt like it was so on the nose that it was, but never got why that works for Lynch and it doesn't really work here. I don't know. This just didn't connect I, with me I, at all. I will say that they, they need to get better in their script writing on the payoff. There was a mm-hmm. lot of setup here that was really good, and I think that's what kept me interested, but it never really hits a holy shit, mind blowing payoff that it really should. That Lynch always nailed. I was confused enough about the very existence of this film that I actually watched the uh, most of the behind the scenes of a modern chiller, which is pretentious as fuck oh, yeah. thing to call it a 45 minute making a feature out with interviews with the director, Patrick Picard. And I thinking, well, maybe he'll be able to explain to me what the hell was going on here. And he didn't say anything that I didn't already figure out on my own and everything else. That felt, there was just a lot of shrugging, basically, of like, I don't know, it seemed cool type of stuff. You're like, Ugh, OK, I hate that shit. Like, here's a guy who went in here, just kind of felt like he was more had I had the basic idea and then kind of played it by ear. I don't know. This didn't connect with me. There's also four experimental short films by the director here as well. Uh, the first pressing of it has an illustrated booklet with a new writing about the film. And there's a audio commentary with the director and the editor. You know, I mean, it's not obviously there's people out there who really love this sort of stuff. I only occasionally do. And this is not one. I will say this. Hit my buttons. Unironically. Great cover. I love it. I, I love yeah. the illustration. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. We're going to move on to one that everybody already knows about, but you haven't heard me talk about because everybody else was on the review, and that's Promising Young Woman, which is now out on Blu-ray. Here's the thing. I saw this back in February of 2020, the last film I saw before everything shut the fuck down. And it was in a theater, and they were like, okay, this is coming out in a few weeks. And then, of course, it wasn't. (laughs) And I was like, oh, so we never got to do the review. And then by the time it was going to come out, I was like, I can't remember this well enough to review this. I'm just going to 
give the screener to, to my critics and let them do it. Wait for the Blu-ray, which I hope they'll send. And sure enough, they sent it. So I was like, great, I will watch it again now because it's been long enough. I feel like watching it again. And it's been nominated for and won awards all over the place. And it's got such a great cast. Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Alison Brie, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Laverne Cox, and Connie Britton. That's a terrific cast here of a fascinating look at misogyny and abuse, but from the viewpoint of like a woman who had all of this happen to a friend, uh, this is, she plays Cassie Thomas is played by Carrie Mulligan. We meet her. She's a medical school dropout. She's 30 something. Uh, she is get works at a coffee shop that Laverne Cox runs. Uh, she is going nowhere, but she spends her nights going out pretending to be really drunk at bars so that abusive dickheads will try to take her home only for her to wait to that exact moment when they're about to basically rape her, you know, like date rape her when she's like half unconscious and then be very clear, I am not drunk and humiliate them. And this is kind of her gig. And we find out why, because she, her best friend in college had been raped and it just kind of ruined her life. It totally destroyed her to the point where she ended up committing suicide. And so Cassie is going through this experience of how, where does my life go? I can't get over the guilt of feeling like, like I, I'm not doing anything. What can I do to help? I was supposed to go to this party where she was at and I didn't go. Uh, there's a lot of feelings wrapped up here and she, there's points that seems like maybe she's going to get on with her own life. She meets a young doctor played by Bo Burnham, uh, who, who is like, actually seems like a really nice guy. He's a pediatrician. Um, but everything comes to a head when she finds out that the guy, the rapist in question is getting married leading up to a really distressing finale. <laughs> I think this movie is really tremendous. Having seen it twice now, it's very disturbing. It's also kind of funny at points. Um, it's talking about a lot. There is so much to process in this movie, like so much that, you, and I'm glad I saw it a second time that I was able to really already knowing what was going to happen, be able to look at it with more of a clinical eye. But yeah, I would recommend this to anyone. This is well, not children. <laughs> this is one of the smartest movies that came out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it is explicitly about rape and what that does to somebody and what that does to the people who surround them whatever, without ever actually showing a rape. It's a revenge film without ever really actually showing the revenge. Um, it's whip money. It's whip smart funny, but it hurts at every turn. Uh, like, there is not one aspect of this movie that doesn't work. The the only complaint I ever had was when you get into that third act, there are things that happen that are very appropriate and perfect and make absolute sense within the context of the movie. And it couldn't have happened any other way. And you still don't really want it to happen too. like every aspect of this movie is complex and interesting and it knows what it's doing. This is a brilliantly written and a brilliantly shot movie. I, I was on the review. I adored it. I was very glad to get us to get a chance to see it again. Like this might be flat out my favorite movie of 2020. Yeah. It's tremendously good. And it's certainly, I feel like if you see this movie and you really hate it, you, it might be time for a little bit of self-examination. Oh, <laughs> it, I think any, 
I don't know that anybody can really watch this movie and not go in prepared to go through bits of self-examination. Because even as a guy watching this, there was lots of like, holy shit, like, would I be that bad? Would I be like, would I do those things? I don't think I would. I hope not. I've never been in that situation. But oh my God, what if I would? Lots of let me think about who I am as a human being and what I would really do if somebody was uh, that exposed around me and I'd, I'd like to think that i'm a good enough person but it's it's good that a movie makes me ask those questions yeah and i mean like yeah even if you love it you're probably going to go through a certain amount of yeah. you know <laughs> distressing self looks at your at your own behavior and the behavior of friends you may have like said oh well that was nothing at the time but maybe it wasn't uh, and you know i showed this to my wife and after it finished we just kind of like sat there for 10 minutes just just thinking for a bit before we said anything. <laughs> and she's like, just turns to you and goes, get out. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Tremendously good. Unfortunately, this is kind of a lame home release of it. Uh, yeah. This, yeah. It's like got a couple, like four, uh, three EPKs and a commentary with just the director, Emerald Fennel, who I admittedly can't wait to see what she does next. I think Marvel uh, picked her up. Yeah, I think Marvel did too, but I'm blanking on. Uh, I don't know if they've even said what it was. I think she's writing an upcoming project because yeah. So she's primarily or has been an actress, and she's mm-hmm. done some writing before this. She wrote on a couple of shows, and this was her. No, I'm writing this. This is a passion project. I'm going to direct this as well. She also was the showrunner for season two of Killing Eve. Yep. Yeah. You you know the show I'm talking about? Oh, I said yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, th- I thought it sounded like you were coughing or something. No. <laughs> Zatanna. That's what it is. She got picked up by oh. DC. She's writing Zatanna. Nice. Uh, I can't wait. For, I'm one of my favorite DC I know. characters. I'm excited. So our final film this week is the 4K release of Godzilla, which of course is coming out now on, God- on 4K because the big release of Godzilla vs. Kong, which was decidedly the biggest moneymaker theatrically since COVID <laughs> happened. But um, by that we mean it broke even. <laughs> Yeah, by that we mean it broke even. But, you know, nonetheless, it did way better than the number two spot. And it's still playing in theaters, and people are still going to see it. So, uh, for my money, of the modern, legendary uh, uh, Warner Brothers kaiju films, there's only two I really genuinely like and are like, oh, I would watch this, like, repeatedly. One is uh, Kong Skull Island which I think is so much fun. And the other is Godzilla versus Kong, which is dumb as shit, but in the best possible way, just super ridiculous fun. I think Godzilla, while I like it better this now being the third time I've seen this, and it certainly looks terrific on 4k from director Gareth Edwards. I think that this is not a terrible movie. I think we were all a little hard on it when it initially came out, but it's also not a terribly great movie either. It's very dry. It makes a huge mistake of setting you up with a protagonist you can't, you're you excited as fuck to have only to get rid of him 40-some minutes in the film and replace him with just a, a charisma void of an actor, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who just comes in like, why should we give a fuck about this guy? There's issues with, oh, we're going to tease showing you Godzilla, but why? We, I mean, we saw he's on the fucking poster. We know what he looks like, you know, and it's not a Jaws issue. We can't afford to show you Godzilla. There's lots of like things where you're like, like with the doors closing and just as he's appearing on screen. So you can't see me like that's just dumb. Why would you do that? There's moments like that through here. But 
I think ultimately this, I think maybe it's that having seen Godzilla King of the Monsters, which I strongly disliked, this seems so much better now by comparison. All right. So like, I'm, I'm a kaiju fanatic. I I own them all. I've seen this movie. I've referred to you as kaijuish. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I, I, I really enjoyed Godzilla versus Kong. I love Kong Skull Island. I have a very complex relationship with King of the Monsters and I still don't know entirely how I feel about that movie, but I, I mostly enjoyed this first Godzilla movie. Like I, I acknowledge the issue it has with its characters, although like it's taken me a while to come up with a reason to dislike that beyond just you killed the wrong character. Cause I think that's lazy. Yeah. I think the real issue with the characters in this movie is that none of the characters actually make a choice in the entire film, except Brian Cranston's character. Um, which is why everyone says you shouldn't have killed them, but really you should have written the other characters better. Um, I, I get the complaints against not seeing much Godzilla. I I think, unfortunately what it is, is I think Gareth Edwards, who I keep confusing with Gareth Evans. Um, but (laughs) we all do. I, I think that he got a raw deal. If you look at the movie Monsters and do a direct one-to-one comparison to Godzilla, it makes perfect sense. He's more interested in that sense of dread and that that Lovecraftian awe that he creates with his characters. And for his money, or for my money, I don't think any Godzilla movie nails that specific sense of these are otherworldly creatures who we cannot affect better than this movie like the individual sequences that he sets up are phenomenal and some of my favorite in the franchise it's just that he doesn't really time dig he doesn't really time together well a lot of that's the script part of that's his direction you're right it was a huge miss to repeat that oh my god we're gonna build right up to the moment of revealing the monster fight and then cut away like i think they could have realistically gotten away with that one time but the four other times they do it should have been at least a two minute fight sequence which is something that the newer movies have started to learn um i but like i can't dislike it because there's so many just amazing powerful set pieces that make it worth watching this movie for uh, Can I say I want to see a recut of this film where Aaron Taylor Johnson's wife, who's played by Elizabeth Olsen and sadly has next to nothing to do in this movie, but is in it a surprising amount despite that, where it's just a point where she puts the phone down and goes like, I got this. And then just edit in shit from like WandaVision and the Avengers film with her coming in and kicking Godzilla's ass. I would watch that cut of her, Godzilla again. I'm still down for making a Fast and the Furious MonsterVerse movie where the Fast and the Furious characters are the human element trying to get whatever random 50s sci-fi tech is going to stop the new big bad. <laughs> and then they're like having to like race the cars with Godzilla chasing them and the other monsters chasing, trying to driving get them. Driving up his I spine. I would watch the shit out of that hands down but as it is like this is just another re-release of godzilla if you love it like me you probably already own it and unfortunately it falls into the issue for me that a lot of other modern 4k releases do where like yeah it's great but the original version was so good that it's it's like yeah i guess it might be better but i just already can see tyrese gibson and like you know <laughs> Kirk going, woo <laughs> Right? Come on. Ludacris doing, what are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> so, yeah, like, I, I'm. 
did you yeah. feel any differently about the visuals? Because like this is a redo, so was the 4K good enough for an upgrade for you? I know it, it yeah. wasn't. It I don't know that it would be for me, but I think that if you if you don't own this movie and you like Godzilla, especially if you're a fan of the MonsterVerse movies, there's no reason not to go out and get it. I mean, it's by far the best looking version of this film. I mean, it's a super big upscale from it's a two, 2160p, which is upscaled from uh, a 2K DI, which is a big improvement over a 1080p Blu-ray that previously came out. No question. <coughs> um, the blacks are a lot stronger, which is important okay. when you're dealing with a film that this much of it is shot during night nighttime. Uh, details are much more clear. And I never I don't think that it going into HD like this into 4k ever sort of brought you to a point where, like that looks fake uh, where it didn't it did. before. I didn't, I, I didn't feel that way. I thought this looks terrific. So if you are a fan of this film, I mean, yeah, this looks, I thought tremendous. And it's also, uh, I believe a big sound upgrade as uh, well. See, I, the I Dolby Atmos audio mix, which is the, a major upgrade from what it was before. Uh, and you know, if you're going to watch a kaiju movie, you want the best sound you can get. You want your living room to fucking shake every time Godzilla takes a step. This is not wrong. This movie has a great soundtrack. It, it makes me wish I had better sound in my house because I could appreciate it. Well, it's time for us to get to that point of the show, which is not watching Aaron die on screen of asphyxiation, uh, which is appears what's happening right now. But uh, instead, the pick of the week. Aaron, what is our pick of the week? Oh, my God. Um, if you were asking me, like, flat out, what is the best movie, I'd have to say Promising Young Woman. But, like, mm -hmm. probably, like, the best altogether set would be The Invisible Man. Because what Arrow does it well. I guess that it's or Godzilla. But there's not very much extra on there. Even yeah. Godzilla is all just EPKs from the previous What would release. you pick? I mean, that's the thing. Like, none of these did. There are great movies in this set. Yeah. Uh, but there weren't a lot of great holy shit releases for me I mean, in this the set. Invisible Man, there's like very little on the way bonus features for an Arrow set. Hey, and then, it, it had two movies, so that And there's two movies, but one of them sucks. <laughs> well, I know, but the good one's the special feature. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I just, like, I, I just, I know for me it would be between Mafia Incorporated, although there's not much in the way bonus features there. It's such a good movie and it's a surprise you know Here. of a film. Or Angaku, which is filled with bonus features, but like is going to, you know, your, your results are definitely going to vary with that one, whether or not it's your thing. Or Film Worker, which is a, a re-release, which is points against it, but is a, one of the best film documentaries ever made. I forgot about our sound. I'm going to go, I'm going to say Ngaku, our sound is the one that has the best. Cause that, that legitimately was a good release. Like okay. everything but, else, I was, I was having too much trouble, like reconciling how much I enjoyed the movie versus what's actually on the disc. Hmm. And there's a lot on, on, on Goku. Invisible Man Returns, or Invisible, whatever it's called. The Invisible, the Invisible Man, Man so versus much. the Human Fly. Get it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the Invisible Man appears, and then the Invisible Man versus the Human just, Fly. Why can't they make movies with titles like that anymore? I want to well, see, they do. like, They just made a movie titles. called The Invisible Man, like, last year. Yeah, no, no. The Invisible Man appears. Like, yeah. like, that's play is why I like it so much. 
Well, maybe the next one will be the Invisible Man versus the Fast and the Furious family. I I would enjoy that. I would enjoy <laughs> I that too. Would. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I just want to throw the Fast and the Furious family into just like random other genres. That's the fun thing right now. You saw the <laughs> thing where the the writer was like, "Yeah, we've actually talked about because it it's the same parent company about crossing it over with Jurassic Park." I'm like, guys, fuck space. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I totally dinosaurs. have lost. All interest in the going to space thing. I want to see them fight a fucking like herd of velociraptors and high performance sports cars. That is my new fondest wish. <laughs> and then the invisible man is driving one of the cars. I don't know. Something. There you go. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's it uh, for Digital Noise this week. Thank you, Aaron, for joining me. Be back again on the next show with John Golson. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, let us know what you think if there are any of our movies that we turned you on to that you didn't know about previously that you're super excited that we got to turn you on tell people about it link to our show tell them about it say yeah the show turned me on to all this great stuff that doesn't hurt <laughs> when you link to us specifically especially when it's to say nice things plus it makes us feel better at the very least it does and really almost nothing else does yeah. we're like well, we're like we're, this close to killing ourselves yeah, well, right now because I don't have a comment in my inbox we're terrible misanthropic depressives just 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 we're miserable all the time. Give us some joy, please. Yeah, that's all we ask you. Just a tiny <laughs> bit of joy. Just a little bit of happiness, kind sir. Please, sir. May I have a can like? You, can I have some more? <laughs> what? Dislike. <laughs>